On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm so excited to welcome my friend, Dr. Monica Agarwal. How are you today? Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for, for joining us, and I can't wait to talk about your new book, The the title says it all body on fire for those on youtube you can see that dr monica agarwal and dr jothi rao and um i know your story intimately this amazing human that you are in your recovery story but could you tell us a little bit about your background as a cardiologist in your journey to to actually I, i think healing and freedom uh yeah no so thanks um so my story is always interesting when I tell it because it changes as it every day I live. So I always sort of laugh about that. But, um, you know, I, so I'm a cardiologist at the University of Florida. And so I, what that means is I run a, I'm a preventative cardiologist. So I focus on advanced lipid management and um, treating cardiovascular disease through aggressive lifestyle changes. Um, and so I have a prevention clinic um, there, um, which we've been, we've fostered over the last set four years since I've been there. Um, and I also do a lot of research and um, I do a lot of teaching. So I get to teach a lot of the future generations of medical students, residents and, and cardiology fellows, which I really enjoy. Um, so my path to getting here was a bit circum- <laughs> circuitous. Um, I started out um, in uh, Maryland and um, after, after a cardiology fellowship, I decided to that I had very little time to have my children because my clock was ticking and I wanted to have three kids and how is this all gonna work out? And um, I started out with having three miscarriages um, because so I always tell people that no matter how much you think you're going to predict when you're going to have a child or what your that your life is going to be a certain way, you just don't ever know. And I think um, if anything I've learned in the last 10 years is that there is no way to plan your life. <laughs> and, and that's really, and I think that that's an important lesson for a person like me and maybe some of the other people who listen, who listen to this because as a physician, we like to control a lot of things. We're very controlling. We tend to be very type A and we can't, we just imagine, well, I go to medical school, I go to residency, I go to fellowship and then I'm a doctor and then I make money. And then I, you know, and then I have my kids, like it just in your head, you've created this massive outline uh, because there's so much deferred gratification. Um, but as a fellow in my third year fellowship and, and, you know, and what you can call it, what it, whatever you want, but a lot of us don't try to have children when we're training, because as women in subspecialty, for sure, it's not looked at well to have, to get pregnant when you're a fellow or when you're in training, because then somebody else has to cover your job and that never looks good. And maybe that's in our head or maybe it isn't, or maybe years of, of always, of always feeling like as women, we were, um, we, you know, we always had to sort of be a certain way. It was always very difficult. So when I finished fellowship, I decided to have kids and, um, you know, I got pregnant really easily and, uh, lost them really easily. And, um, that's probably one of the harder times in my life. I've had many hard times. And so I think that everybody, you know, you, you said something earlier when we were just chatting about how so many times you've had so many lessons in your life and sometimes you wish there were fewer and, you know, 
but I think I, I do agree so many times that these lessons are painful to have. I can tell you that some of my darkest moments were during those four years where I tried, kept miscarrying. Um, but I think that it really does make you stronger. So that wasn't the part of the story you wanted to hear, but you got that part. Well, I, um, it's important. There's a lot of women who can convey and, and understand. I, I lost one between my first two. I totally get that. That's yeah. very painful. It was very painful. It was, um, it was one of those things where the, I had this male OBGYN who was lovely, but he, uh, he said, Oh, you know, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. You can get, you can get pregnant again as soon as you are ready to lose one. Oh, wow. People are funny. He, people are funny. So ultimately when my first child came, I was so happy I mean, it was over the moon and, you know, there was nothing, you know, people talk about the terrible twos. I didn't feel those twos because I was working and had these kids and all I wanted to do was be with my babies. Okay. And so anyone who knows me knows that everything is about the kids. And so um, I had three kids in four years. So I had to sort of had a short time frame. So I had a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a baby. And so everybody, I always joke about how there were times when I'd come home from a full day of work and my breasts were huge because I needed to, I needed to nurse and the baby needed to be fed. And the two-year-old was in my arm and my four-year-old's on my foot. And so that's usually, I mean, there were day, many days like that. And so uh, everything was crazy and fun and, but almost too much, right? Cause you have three kids, a full-time job. I was, you know, the, the fun part of it is that yes, my life was great, but there's always another side to it. And, um, and the other side was I was overtired. I was sleeping four hours a night. I, um, I wasn't taking care of myself and, and instead I was making baby food and pureeing sweet potatoes, but I was sleeping three or four hours a night because I can handle anything. Right. And so I went through a lot of this sort of very inflammatory behaviors where I had a lot of sympathetic tone. I was overdriven, to totally overstimulated and, uh, I broke. And so about four months after I had baby three, I started manifesting migratory joint pain. Uh, the short version is I went from being an avid runner to being almost totally disabled. I couldn't even climb the stairs. Um, and um, I was told I probably wouldn't be able to practice cardiology the way I usually do, which is I do a lot of procedures and I probably wouldn't do all those. So within a month and a half, I went from being super super mobile to being completely small and sick and broken. And uh, I was diagnosed with uh, advanced rheumatoid arthritis. I was told that if I didn't get on medications within a week of my diagnosis, that my prognosis would be very poor um, because my markers were so high. Um, and that I was, it was very, I had a very destructive course ahead of me. So I did. And, you know, the fact that I was told all that in my first visit, you can imagine how that must have felt uh, and how a person, and you learn a lot as a physician about how not to be. Uh, and I certainly have learned so much about how to be as a physician, how to talk to patients. And, you know, you, I was always, you know, good with patients, but I don't know, but I was able to put it in a box and then walk away. But now I I really feel when I give these patients a plan and I give them a medicine, I really think about it 14 times because when I was started on medications that could call, kill my liver or um, that could, would make me lose my hair or had all these side effects, 
uh, I didn't, when you start, when you start getting medicines, you start realizing, well, the doctor will say, oh, well, you're one in a thousand risk of getting this. But as the patient, you hear, I might be that one in a thousand. And I, I didn't fully understand that until I myself had become the patient. So after months of really bad side effects and losing a lot of hair and feeling lousy and feeling good, feeling good because my joints were better, feeling bad because I had every side effect. Um, and, you know, I was laughed because people were like, you lost all your weight. You look amazing. And I was like, yep. I look amazing because I can't eat because I'm nauseous all the time. Wow. So I went through a lot of that, um, a lot of emotion, a lot of anger, sadness, you know, um, but then I got better and how did I do it? So sort of a year after I got sick and was on medications for about a year, maybe seven months or so, I met a woman who decided to just came to my office and said, you know, and you know, I always think about like why things happen in your life. And I was doing this community event and, and she said, you know, she wanted to come and teach people about nutrition. And I was like, ah, you know, I, I got enough people and I was probably rude and was like, uh, yeah, I got this. We, we got this. And she goes, well, let me, let me do your profile. Let me, let me do your profile because maybe I can help you. And I was like, I got this, you know, like, I got this, I'm healthy, you know, and I sort of laugh and I always look back at that moment and think I was like not healthy. And so, uh, you know, and so I always laugh about that, but, and I, so she said, uh, so she did, and it changed everything. It, it changed my whole life because I started understanding that there are things that you can do in your life that can affect how you, how you live and how you do. And, you know, I think, I think the fully, like it's taken me now almost five or seven years of study to understand that why that is like, you have your genes and you can't change your genes. Like I have what I was supposed to have. I was supposed to have rheumatoid arthritis for whatever reason. It doesn't run in my family, but I was, I had that genetic code, but the epigenetics or the reason or the, the other things around your genes, you can change. And so I think that's a fundamental concept that I think people need to understand, which is that you can't maybe change what you get from your genes, but you can change your epigenetics, the way your body responds to those genes, the expression of, of um, an illness, and then potentially suppress those genes. And so that's the area that I'm most interested in. So I spent uh, years learning about it, trying to understand it, trying to trying to heal my own body and trying and just going all over the country, trying to study and learn about it. And I changed everything. I changed the way I ate. I changed the way I slept. I changed the way I practiced, moved everything. Um, and then about a year after diagnosis, I started getting better. Wow. And about two years after diagnosis, and sometimes I'm off my time I came off all of my medicines and now I'm seven years off medication. So that is one of the greatest parts of the story, but it, you know, every day is not perfect. There's some days I get nervous, just like everybody. And, you know, I get a lot of patients contacting me on a daily basis and say, well, how did you do it? And I, I, I like to emphasize that it is no rodeo. It is hard. And every day you have to watch what you do. And some days you'll break down and do things not necessarily the way you really wanted to, or you broke and went back to some of your old ways and, and you, and then you feel it. And so, but for me, I feel like 
the changes that I've made along this course are so, so important. I never want to go back to that place where I crawled up the stairs. I never want to be that person. And so I will do everything I have to do to stay healthy. And so because of that, now I, I live that way and I practice that way and I practice cardiology that way and I teach that way. And so that's the long version of the story or maybe the middle version because, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I am and that's what I do. I practice now a lifestyle-based approach to healing patients and I try to heal patients the way I heal myself, um, but also to remind people that it's hard. It's hard to heal, it's hard to get better, but it's not impossible. Um, and that we, I always tell people, um, you know, we can't choose what we get, but we can choose how we respond to it. Choose what we do to make it better. And uh, that's how I like to practice. Absolutely. But I, there's so much here we could talk to, but I, I want to go back just a little bit because the story of climbing up the stairs, could you frame that and why you were climbing up the stairs? Because I think that's really important. That was probably the hardest day of my life to date um, is that day. So there was a day, um, I think I was five months postpartum with baby number three. It was like four in the morning. And uh, that's when I set my alarm. And so four in the morning, I set my alarm because in order to leave the house by six, I, or 6.30 to get to the hospital by seven, I had to get up at four. So I would get up at four and then I would go downstairs. I remember hobbling down the stairs that day because I had, um, I felt like there were, there was ice or glass cutting my feet. That's what it feels like when you have joint pain in your feet. It feels like somebody's cutting your feet. Like I changed my shoes three times, um, during this process because I couldn't figure out why my, why everything hurt my feet so much. So I remember that day because I was hobbling down the stairs because I had to turn the alarm off to then let the dogs out and then start the day, which means get the dogs out, feed the dogs, make my lunch, make the kid, the two older kids have to go to daycare. So they had to have their lunches made. Um, and then I had to, what else? Then I would have made my lunch and then I'd have to go upstairs and um, feed the baby. Um, and so I remember this day in particular because uh, I was downstairs and the dog barked, which then woke up the baby and the mm -hmm. baby cried. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to wake the other two babies up. And I, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> so I started running up the stairs, you know, that sort of gut reaction to be like, oh my God. And I, and I couldn't get up. I, I couldn't even get close. And I, um, I remember that day so well because I crawled up the stairs because that was the only way I could get up. And my husband found me at the bottom of the crib crying because I couldn't get the baby out of the crib. And I couldn't get her out of the crib because she was just crying and she was crying and my milk was coming out and I couldn't reach her. And uh, I, rem it was, I remember that day so well because uh, I remember that was the day I really knew I was in trouble. Like I knew I was, I was sick. I remember the first time I ever heard you tell that story and I was just like, I can't imagine a more painful experience as a mom to be this close and unable and it's just in your body's reacting, right? Like breast milk and the baby's crying. I, uh, I just wanted to hug every time you say that. So oh, like, that's nice of you. I'll take that virtual, <laughs> virtual hug. hug. 
<laughs> especially nowadays, but um, no, no yeah. I mean, it really was, it was a hard, hard time. And that's why I think, but I, I never want to go through and I never want that moment for anyone, but mm. I, I'm so different because of it. You know, I probably yeah. wasn't that as nice as I am now, or I probably was less sensitive and understanding of other people because you know, everything was about sort of like, okay, I have to do this. Like everything had to fit in a box. And, mm. and it's taken me 10 years to learn that there are no boxes. Like we mm. can't fit in boxes. None of us fit in. I certainly don't. I know I have jagged edges and a lot of us do. And so oh, some of us are more boards than jagged edges. <laughs> that seems to be my, I just got to miss the whole box. <laughs> All our stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know I um in speaking of your story and then you wrote the book Body on Fire which is such a beautiful title and it's actually a really nice I, like it's a very attractive cover oh, actually good. thank you yeah and so what was your inspiration to write the book and then you have a partner in as a co-author and tell us how that ex, you know came to be yeah, so um, we came up with the title Body on Fire because um I think that so many of our bodies are on fire. And I, I certainly think that the key to illness is inflammation. And it's that imbalance between our sympathetic and parasympathetic or our fight or flight and our rest and recovery systems. Sorry, that's the doggy shaking I, in the background. I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's that imbalance between those two systems that trigger so much inflammation. And so I think so many of our bodies are on fire and, and there are days that I feel more on fire than others. And, um, and I think that the, 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 tr the key is to learn to understand the fire, what triggers your fire and how to make it go away or how to calm it. It may never go away, but maybe you can suppress it. And I, I think that, so that's where that title comes from. And um, I think when I, uh, after I started healing from the, in getting off medications, I started becoming like this crazy person. I was like, I have so much energy. I have all the stuff I want to do. I got to tell people about what I've done. So I started like doing triathlons and, you know, challenging my body in different ways. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta write this down. So Jyothi has always been a good friend of mine. And, um, and actually she'll tell you this funny story. The first time I told her that I was going to do a triathlon, I was still nursing. And, you know, anyone who knows me means knows that I'm well endowed. And then when I <laughs> too much information for your audience. No, no. Well, we could be talking. Well, and I, I understand. I understand. Yes. And so, well, she, she'll tell you this funny story about how, when I was nursing, I was let's just say I was very well endowed. <laughs> and then, you know, she said, I would tell her, I'm like, I'm going to do this triathlon. And, and she was like, uh, you're crazy. You're going to start running and those things are going to hit you in the face. <laughs> uh, when, when I was nursing, I had to wear double sports bras when I was running. Like it just hold them in. <laughs> you got to suck those babies in. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, those, those are the funny oh, stories. And, that's my favorite part of the interview, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I know. Oh. So, 
Okay. So that's how we met. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's how we, that's the relationship we have is Jyothi and I, she Aww. calls me out and I call her out. She's like my other sister, you know, sister, sister from another mother. So mm. um, I always sort of laugh about that. But yes, it's, uh, it's been a good experience and a good ride. But that's why we wrote the book. And we, we really I wrote the book. Honestly, I told her that the reason I wrote this book and my daughter, when she hears this, she always starts tearing up. But I, I wrote this um, to honor my kid because I was really not that I was so angry after I had baby three. Like I, I, I kept thinking if, if I hadn't challenged, if I hadn't messed with fate and you know how many people were like, why are you having a third kid? You already have a boy and a girl. And I thought, Oh God, you know, like I messed with I, the forces of nature. I shouldn't have had a third kid. And, you know, I, I, I get angry. Like if I hadn't had a third kid, if I hadn't had a third kid, none of this would have happened. You know, it just was, it was such a dark place. And, you know, and I always, in, you know, I write about this in the book and I always say that the reason I wrote this book and the reason I am better is because of her, because so you always see the negative at the time, right? You see like, well, you know, I got sick, but if I hadn't gotten sick, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have healed and I wouldn't have learned how to heal, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the key. Like if you don't, sometimes you have to fall to learn how to get up. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to be but it's true. No, I, I think it's really important. But the, you know, what I find that's so sad is those who continue to fall, but never think to ask, okay, why are you here? This experience and what can I learn from you? And I think they miss the boat and they can make different decisions and better choices and, or maybe grow and be, you know, take on these things in a different light. And, you know, I, I have found that all through all of the humble pie, I've had to eat multiple times. It just makes me much more, I think, uh, reaching out to people and touching them, even more wanting to be that connection with people and just really understand what they're going through because it's like, I can so relate. I've been, you know, and it's just, it's just a beautiful journey to be with people and to experience and share with them. But I think it's, I totally understand <laughs> when that said. But when you, you talk about, is I, I, I love that too, because the title of, my gosh, I got to put on the old lady glasses. It's utterly insane. It's okay. It'll give me a chance to call Asha to get me a charger. Hey, Asha. Oh. And um, yeah, so turning 50 lets me in my old lady glasses, but um, it's how my daughter saved me. I think that says it all, what you just described. Um, amazing. But yeah, you have other- Favorite chapter. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful chapter in- you have so many really interesting, cool chapters through here. What are some of the ones that you feel are the most powerful, impactful for readers or your patients and maybe why you were inspired to write a certain type of chapter? Sure. So I really like, um, so, you know, I, I like the first, the chapter where we talk a lot about the sympathetic system, that which is chapter one and really just talks about why. Um, the imbalance that we have between supply and demand and resources. And I always tell people it's like your iPhone, like if you, or your phone, you know, when it goes to 3%, you run or your computer, you run to get a charger for your, um, for your phone, but you never learn to charge yourself. And so, so much of the time is that we're always on, we're always taking demands out on our body. I certainly know this very well about pulling and taking so much out of yourself 
key is I think we forget to think about all this, the areas that we can provide back to our body. So I really like that chapter because I think it helps people understand that it, you have to allow your body to heal. You have to give yourself time to recover. Um, the other thing, the other chapters I really like and um, are, I really like the section on elimination and I like the section on add back. And so um, what I find is life. So I, that's what I like. So I like the, um, the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system chapter. I really like the elimination chapter because I think it's important to realize that there's things that we're doing to our bodies to um, hurt it, but then there's certain things we can do to add back. So I really like that. And a new chapter we added that was not in our first book, which was Jyoti's um, suggestion, which was a positivity chapter. So I really mm. like that chapter um, because I do feel, and so much of what we talk about in our clinics is self-love and loving self and loving the community. And in the time of COVID in particular, it's really important for people to remember joy and happiness and sometimes I'll ask people in clinic, what gives them joy? And it's interesting. A lot of people have trouble with that question mm. um, and sort of getting people to sort of journal and focus on the joys and the things that they have that are great in their life. I think that's super important because again, if you always think negatively or that things aren't good, again, it's again, you're just putting so many demands on yourself and it, it's too much. I mean, sometimes I make people look in the mirror and I say, what is it about yourself that you love? And I, I'll tell you what I see. I see you have beautiful eyes or I like the shape of your nose or I like the way you smile. And sometimes that's really important to just remember how much you have because when you, when you have that positive feeling, you're, you're more motivated to change too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think that's really interesting is that people really struggle with seeing the positive because they're, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. When you think negative and you expect things to happen that are negative you're going to be your brain's like oh okay let's make those things happen because it's going to want you to move forward in whatever direction you're thinking so that's really true yeah it's absolutely true and it's it's funny I've had patients I kind of did the similar thing is like I need you to tell some type of positive affirmation by looking yourself in the mirror every day and if it's as simple as I love you to yourself um, it makes people really uncomfortable it's yeah. fascinating. It is fascinating. It's interesting. I give out a survey in my clinic and part, one of the questions on my survey is, are you happy? Mm. And, um, nine out of 10 people say they're not. Mm. And I think that that makes me realize that there's so much, you know, it makes you realize how much sadness there is in the world and how much we all bottle up our sadnesses. And I think the importance of community and love and remembering the things that are good and give joy are really important when you, um, when you kind of hear that so many people have so much sadness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it is really unfortunate, but I think that community aspect is so important, be it your family or your friends, your neighbors, because I, we're just so disconnected now. And it's funny that I had an interview before you and um, Kristen had written a book, um, oh goodness, baby got back in her pants. It's really funny. It's about losing weight, plant-based diet. It's just, it's a really, it's a, she's Fun. done a fantastic job. <laughs> um, but yeah, but we were talking about, you know, mothering and stuff. And I was like, you know, it's, it's interesting. She mentioned, you know, she goes to the playground with her six-year-old and all the parents are sitting on the benches looking at their phones and there's literally people with 
children similar ages right there next to you and you're not connecting you're on social media and now there's worries you know there's interesting studies on women who breastfeed and they're not you know having that eye to eye connection and love and you know because when a baby's breastfeeding and you're just enjoying them other than the pain enjoying the moment because it can be very painful and you're just like you're falling in love right and that love lasts and lasts and um, but I'm thinking, what about those mothers who are on the, the cell phones and scrolling and not connecting? But the connecting is really, really important. Yeah, I, I, you're so, I, I totally agree with you. I'm with you. I, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is walk around the hospital and take pictures of everybody on their phone. And so wow. like, I'll, I'll go to the bus stop and I'll take care of every single person who's on the phone, like when I walk by. And so I have these pictures where there's 10 people on their phone. And, you know, I think, yeah, I think we've lost a little bit of our uh, ourselves in this whole digital world. And, mm. uh, you know, a conversation probably for another day, but certainly a, um, a, uh, an issue and one that, you know, I, my kids are in that age group now where I want them to have phones, but I don't really want them to have phones. Like I need to be able to get a hold of them, but mm. I, you know, and, you know, they're asking, but can I get social media? And like, mm. well, why would mm. I want you to have that? <laughs> you know, and then why would I want you to be affected by other people's perceptions of you, you know? And so yeah. anyway, that, you know, again, I think that there's so much there, to, you know, that you could tease out like social media, the lack of community, you know, that we're losing so much of that um, in this day and age and now with COVID. And so I, I do think that nurturing that is super important and learning to sort of remind yourself what you love and love about yourself and a bit love about the world. And mm -hmm. so I really like that positivity chapter. Yeah, I think that's great. And just a little on the kid thing with the social media, we were very fortunate. So my kids were born in 94, 96, 98. So they're kind of on the cusp of as it was entering, but their early childhood wasn't inundated with it. Sure. But as they got older, I was on social media, which is probably not a good thing, but I was always very, very clear that if they were ever on social media, I will hunt you down. I will have all access, all passwords. I will hunt you down. <laughs> I will hunt you down and I will be on there watching what you're doing. And uh, there's like, so now they're still, even at their ages now, they want, they do not want to be on social media. They post on occasion. <laughs> like they're just like, and I think it was a blessing in the sense that I was a psychotic mom. It's like, hey. You know, okay, well, I, that, that's given me impetus to be psychotic mom. <laughs> like, okay, I can be crazy too. Well, they're like, because they, they, I do like to hear, they, I do hear often, but so-and-so has social media. Oh, like, I, if I love that, is if I had a nickel, every time I heard that, I was like, listen, the oh, day that I'm so-and-so's mom, let me know. And then we'll have that discussion with them too. Well, my husband is even funny. I mean, he's so funny. He'll go, oh, well, why don't you go live with that family? <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. It's so hilarious. Oh my gosh. Well, I know we've taken up, I've taken, I've taken up so much of your time. I apologize, but it's so just, fun. I just love talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's been so fun. I've had a great time. Absolutely. Well, where can we get your book? And here it is, guys, again, Body on Fire. Body on Fire, um, available on Amazon. It's it's starting awesome. to get into the bookstores. Uh, it's on Kindle because I've, I, you know, a bunch of people from across um, international were looking for it. And so it's now on Kindle awesome. and only getting everywhere. And and hopefully we will, because I, uh, I, I know this, this is going to be the next question, which is not maybe from you, but from the, from the patrons are, when is the cookbook coming out? And <laughs> 2021. <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, there's, 
you got to tell us how to get started with the food. It's all the food, right? I think so. I think you, but I, I think, I think you have to have the foundation, which is what right. this book is. I think it's the yeah. foundation to sort of make you say, understand, like, look, we got a problem. There's, <laughs> there's an up and a down, we got too many demands. We got not enough resources. Let's figure out how to even that out. There's these different things that um, will help you do it and sort of, and it, it gets people thinking about what they're doing in their lives to sort of right. hurt their bodies and help them. And hopefully they'll hear our stories and hear my story and say, okay, yeah. you know, I don't want to end up like her um, and be so sick like I was and that, you know, people will change. And I think unfortunately illness makes people change, but I'm hoping that um, people will say, you know what, I don't want to be that. I don't want to get that sick. Uh, I don't want to break down. And uh, and then we'll make the changes and do what they have to do because there's so much to live for. There's so many great things. And as you and I spoke about it earlier, like we got like a hundred years of things we want to do. So <laughs> we can't. It's actually more than a hundred years. Like, can I borrow, like, I don't know, but can I keep the 50 year old body as I move into those next 50? Yeah, we talked about that. But I think the really cool thing about your book is that you're, you're breaking down some really interesting topics and looking into it. So people may not even realize that that's an issue, but then they may connect with something that you're you're speaking about here. And I really like chapter really six important. too because of that microbiome chapter oh. about the gut, and we we didn't get to talk about that, but yeah. that chapter was uh, you know I redid that chapter for this book, and uh, because I feel like I've learned so much in the last couple of years, and I know that even from the day this was published to now, I've learned so much. Like it's such an evolving area is the gut biome and actually doing these really cool studies that I'll have to tell you about at some point Ooh. where we're assessing the gut biome and different styles of diets. And I'm just, it's fun. Like it's, wow. it's so fascinating to understand the gut. And I think the mechanism of of how our body's healing so much of it is through the gut. And I think um, really even, you know, stress hormones and food that we take in and sleep, they all have an impact on the gut. So I think, I think we're going to find some really exciting stuff out in the next 10 years about how the impact of the gut is. And that's why one of the questions on my survey is how is your stool? Mm -hmm. You know, people love it. They're like, why are you asking me this? I'm like, well, yeah, I want to know how your stool is, how many times you go and what does it look like? And they're like, uh, okay. Aren't, oh. aren't you a cardiologist? I'm like the only cardiologist that talks about poo. That's right. But I got, oh, three, I got yeah. three kids and two dogs. I'm very comfortable with poo. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Yeah. I think any doctor, you go to medical school, you become very familiar with poop, but that's really funny about the poop though. Cause I, every conversation has poop in it with me and my patients. So I have a family and she, she said, I could check. Cause I, it's such a cute story because okay. I said, can I share your story on the podcast? Like, I don't know, a hundred times. And she's like, oh, of course, of course. And um, so she has, I started seeing her son who's five and he was four when he was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Okay. And so they came to see me and we're transitioning from a very ketogenic paleo type diet because that's what the Cardell's was. He wasn't doing well, thriving. So then they started with matching diabetes and they referred to me. By the way, he's doing really awesome right now. But yeah. anyway, but part of that transition, they have a seven-year-old and <laughs> she was having all these digestive issues, as you can imagine, switching over to a high fiber diet from a low fiber diet. And, um, but what a little trooper. So we talked often, you know, it was, it's like mom and the whole family shows up and, um, we started talking about poop and, you know, at first she was like, but then it, she just got really comfortable and I happened to mention the chart <laughs> and, um, the Bristol chart and the poop chart. Right. And so, 
And her mom put one of those charts in the bathroom because these are five and a seven-year-old. She's like, I'm not going to watch them poop, but I need to know what the poop is so I can, she's very analytical. She's run her own business. Mom is like on it. And um, she's like, she goes, so every time now the kids go and they, they go, mom, I had a number four, which is awesome. And, or they'll tease her. They'll even go, mom, I had a number eight. And they'll, oh. she's like, are you serious? She goes like, no, mom, I had a number three. It's all good. <laughs> it's like, so then one night she comes in, we're, we're meeting and because uh, we meet fairly often, <laughs> she has this mug and it has the chart on the mug. I was like, she goes, Dr. Marvis, this is for you. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. I have one of these. <laughs> I said, I must have. So I went on Amazon, I found that mug and I ordered it. So the next time we met, so now every time we meet, like, hey, we have our poop mugs together. But oh, it was that's just, so great. I love uh, that. It's hilarious. But we, the and now the family, when they're over, everyone wants to use my poop mug I was like this is a poop mug who wants to use a poop mug who's not an actor I'm like come on <laughs> I love it I love it oh my gosh you need to get the poop mug and show it to your page I, I think I'm gonna have to get I'll have to do it on stealth like I'll, <laughs> I'll get it in the house and it'll just show up and people will be like what is what are you what are you drinking out of it like, what what <laughs> it's, the, it's the special mug and when you put mug. and if I put like um I use Ticino and I it's brown and get some different colors going in there. It's a really interesting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, Lori, it's very, always so fun to chat with you. <laughs> yes. You know, off the wall stories, but anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure everyone else is just going to go, okay, Marvis, never listen to this again. No, I'm just kidding. I know. Well, I'm not sure. That, I'm sure they're going to all be like, what happened between the two of you on that conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they, it's just, there's just some people you just totally enjoy talking to. And that's, that is you, Dr. Well, I do so enjoy talking to you every time. Thanks for yes. having me. I appreciate Thank being you. here. And uh, we'll touch base soon. Absolutely. And everyone just check it out. It's Body on Fire on Amazon and we'll put the links. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that interview. And if you could, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast. We really appreciate the feedback. In addition to this, I did want to let you know that we actually do video recordings of all of our interviews. And if you'd rather watch them, you can check out our YouTube channel at Healthy Human Revolution. There we also have other resources for you. One in particular I'm really excited about is called The Doctor's Inn. That's where I actually answer questions from the audience and do tons of topics like cholesterol, hypertension, diabetes, and just things to help you stay well. So check it out and also don't forget the HealthyHumanRevolution.com website where you have all the resources you need to actually start and sustain a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet.